right now, it is time for this. It's Bruins Thursday on WEI. That's the reason Boston fans get skittish. And it's time for the most feared hockey analyst in America. That's a good hamburger, but it's not steak. Former Beast defenseman and head coach Mike Melberry. They're a freaking mess. Make a comment about the great one and not be 100% positive. I was, I, I needed a cup of coffee, to be honest with you. Right now on the Craig Hill Morning Show. Mike Milbury is brought to you this week by Shaw's, perfecting the art of fresh since 1860, and by the Wiseman Straight Bourbon Whiskey from Kentucky Owl. Mike, good morning. How are you? Wait, I, I'm. This is sponsored by a whiskey company. Yes. I like that. Yes. Are you all right? Would you? Would I'm you, happy. About, I'm proud of that. Would you be a bourbon or a rye? Would you be a rye guy or a bourbon guy? No, I'm really just a Jameson guy. <laughs> well, we just lost that sponsor. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> like I, Wait till I, you try the wise. Can you act yes. like you act like I would been... try the bourbon, of course. But anyway, <laughs> could you just could you act like? I listening to your anti-vax stuff. Did you read about the guy that went into a pizzeria Regina and wouldn't wear a mask and yes. clocked the manager? Yeah, we were just. That's what that that audio that we just played from that woman is uh, was about. That that uh, the this guy who got violent in the North End said he was from the neighborhood and that he didn't need to wear a mask. So it's uh, it's it's unfortunate. Maybe just the hood, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think uh, you, you know you should. I don't really like wearing a mask at all. I was in Florida last week. And, Nobody wears a mask. Yeah. They don't. They don't care right. what happens in Florida. It just, it's a, uh, it's kind of. But it's it's a relief. Well, that's and a, uh, but that's... this guy going in to get a pizza. You think for five minutes you could strap on a mask and <laughs> you know, I know, chin diaper and get it over with. But I guess he was, yeah, he was too hungry to do that. Apparently. Oh, what the what part did you of Florida did you go to? Uh, my sister and two brothers are uh, in Delray. So I uh, managed to snag one of their spare rooms and stayed for a week and had uh, had a great time. I mean, T-shirts and shorts every day. What the hell are we doing living here now? I know. Yeah. And no great, mask. Great question. Great question. Wide open. Well, um, uh, Wiggy and I and, and uh, Ken and Curtis and Courtney were talking earlier about Tuca and uh, about the goalie situation, and I wanted to ask you, I first of all, is this the way it's going to go where they are essential? There's essentially no number one goaltender. They're going to platoon. Uh, and if so, is, uh, is that an issue you think for this team? No, it's not an issue. Um, it's been a trend for the last, you know, 10 or so years, maybe more to use both goalies pretty, not, not equally, but maybe 60, 40 in the regular season. And then you, uh, basically ride a number one goaltender in the postseason. And I think that's what will happen. I mean, you, you might find time for the second goaltender in the postseason if it gets to be a really crammed schedule. But the reason for the split 60-40 is to make sure you get your number one guy ready, he gets enough games, and he's fresh enough to go through, a hopefully, a long playoff run. Mike, but usually when they do that, right, there already is a number one. And I personally believe that the number one goalie is Tuca. You don't bring back a Vesna winner to say, okay, you have to compete to get your job back when you've kind of proven that you could bring us to a Stanley Cup, you're, you're a Stanley Cup caliber goalie. I I get that feeling. Do you get the feeling that, like, Tuca is viewed as, all right, you, 
we want you to be the number one. Without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, he's the number one goaltender unless he loses it. I mean, games like he had <laughs> a couple of nights ago are, are ways to lose your number one status, but I don't think that's going to happen often. I mean, they, they had a hell of a game against Nashville. They had, there were 90 hits in the game. They banged each other up, and then they just laid an egg against Carolina. And, or, or you could view it as a, this is a team, Carolina, that's cream of the crop, and they're going to have to get through it, and it could be a, a signpost for the Bruins. But I just looked at it as a sort of a drop-off after the Nashville game where they really they, they poured their heart and soul into it, and, and they were a little beat up. So, so when but, it when it comes to Tuca knocking the rust off, how, how long should he be given? Like, how, how long does that take? I, there's no set answer to that, but I, I'd say it's going to take, you know, it's going to take six weeks, couple months. He wasn't out that long, and uh, you know, it wasn't that serious a surgery. So I think he should be able to get back on track pretty quickly, and. Um, I'd say by playoff time, he should be ready to go. And and I think they'll ride him. Mike, when you look at February and that two weeks that they were supposed to have a break, now they've got six games, four on the road, two in Ottawa. Does that worry you at all when you look at this team? Obviously, they've been playing well except for that last game. But uh, tiredness-wise, is that going to come into effect, especially when you look at the end of this team season when they have such a packed schedule? (laughs) It's brutal. There's no question about it. But they had to... You know, they postpone the games, and they, and they don't want to lose a penny of revenue. God forbid that Jerry Jacobs wouldn't be less than a billionaire plus. But, I mean, it, it is what it is. Everybody's going to face the same problems in terms of scheduling, maybe not quite as severe as the Bruins. But um, they were going to put him in someplace, and probably it's, it's actually a good thing that the, the Bruins don't have to send guys to the Olympics because it does open up a – two- or three-week window so they can space these games a little more equitably and, and get them in. But there's no doubt that they have a steep hill to climb in, in the last two months of the season, and it's not going to give them uh, a leg up when it comes to playoff performance. Mike, this is kind of like a two-part question. With the trade deadline being um, almost two months Don't from... confuse me, Wiggy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's very simple. With the trade deadline being about two months away, um, what do you think they go after, a defenseman or a forward? And do you think there's any communication that they might be having with David Krejci, uh, very Ooh, similar to kind question. of the Tuka Rass uh, situation, like, hey, you can come back whenever you like? Uh, I would say that that answers a lot of their questions. We started talking about the Bruins way back when, and the biggest issue I had, I think we all recognized, was the number two spot at center. And Charlie Coyle has got his eight goals, and he's a strong player and a good player and a third-line centerman, and I love him for that role. But the Bruins still have a massive hole in the second line, and Krejci would fill that role if they can. If I were them, and I know he's still got some time left. I mean, there's not not a lot of time left on his his tires, but I, I think there's time, and he would fill a role with a quick Taylor Hall and, and a Postonark who's who adores Krejci. That would just fill a, a whole bunch of holes in my in my mind. And so I would say I'd be looking for a defenseman hmm. at this point. I would be looking for a solid defenseman that could play with a little physicality and 
uh, I think that would be my number one priority at this point of the season. Hey, Mike, Linus Allmark has the no-trade protection, but is there any chance he Yeah, would... how the hell did that happen? I don't what know. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, what the hell? But could they convince him to waive it? Did you ever like con- try to convince a player to just accept that we don't want you anymore and you got <laughs> you got to remove that and we're going to deal you somewhere? Well, I, you know, I never really had to deal with the no trade, no movement clauses. It just they just didn't happen until the last decade or so, and and I was out of the GM position at that point. But I I think clearly, if you want Swayman to be in your future, that at some point, either now or in the off season, I mean, look at Edmonton. God, could they use a goaltender? I don't know if Olmark is answers their questions, but I mean. They can't get it straight. They got two of the best players in the world, and they can't they can't get out of their own way. They've lost they've, they've lost a whole basket full of games in the last little while, mostly because not only but mostly because their goaltending sucks. So I, I think that's an option. I don't know where Olmark is. I don't know the guy at all where his head is at, but uh, I'd be thinking that way. But it's it's really a problem they've created themselves, the Bruins. Wasn't that the Petro deal you did, essentially a no-trade deal? Well, I think he's still being paid on that currently. Oh, wow. <laughs> Don't be an ass. <laughs> I, did not, I did not give that guy the deal. You have to – someday we'll talk about the ownership situation on Long Island. Okay. Uh, I think he's, I think Charles he's... Wong came in and said he wanted to give Di Pietro a 12-year deal, and I said, you're nuts. I, th- I think he's going to make it a 14-year deal. <laughs> I think he's making forty-seven million this yeah. year. I, I think he's living in Winter too. Yeah. Well, Mike, I, I hope you understand that Greg has the EEI DPA trophy. So, uh, I had an honest question: Who was the biggest tool GM that you had to deal with that you felt like was below board, like he was lying to you? Who was the worst person you negotiated trades with in your time in the NHL? Wow. Give me a week and let me think about that. <laughs> All right, good tease. Uh, that question next week. It's a good question because there were some, there were some guys that were truly liars in the business. And I guess that's what they were doing their job for. They were trying to do the best for their team. But when you're trying to make a deal, as a general manager, I felt it was, I, I thought it was important to be somewhat honest with each other. Um, and maybe not put all your cards on the table, but, you know, the best deals are the ones where both guys make out okay and you can walk away happy. Nobody gets embarrassed. But, you know, obviously there are deals where you, you get lucky. I mean, I had a deal once with Toronto, Cliff Fletcher, and, and the team had – it was my first year with the New York Islanders, and the owners came in and said, you've got to cut the payroll 25% in the next month. Oh, thanks. That's a nice deal. So I trade. I had to trade Wendell Clark and Matthew Schneider, our best forward and our best defenseman. And uh, I got Toronto's number one pick, and Kenny Onsen, who turned out to be a terrific defenseman for us, and the goaltender turned out turned out to be Roberto Luongo. So sometimes, out of a pile of mud, you can make some magic. But it's it's a dangerous game you play, and and trying to get a guy to deal with it's honest and fair anyway, at least fair, is uh, is important as a general manager. But there are some sleaze bags out there, and I'll think about that for a week and get back to you. 
All right. Well, from the sleaze bags to the good guys, I'm sure you talked about it on Fight Club, but Willie O'Ree and the game the other night for him, what what, what did he mean uh, to you and your, your career? Um, honestly, I, Willie was way before my time. Right. Uh, I'm happy for him that he, he managed a moment in the sun for himself. I mean, I think he, he played, you know, not a lot of games, but he, he broke a barrier that needed to be broken. And uh, I've had the chance to meet him. Really nice guy, really down-to-earth, honest guy. I think you guys have probably seen the interviews with him. And, you know, he's a well-spoken and a great representative for the league and for for black players. And uh, he, he made a, it was a, it was a special moment for him. I'm sorry that he couldn't actually be in person at the event because of this pandemic BS, but it is what it is. But uh, it was a good night, good day for Willie, and uh, I'm sure he'll never forget it. All right, Mike, thanks yeah. for joining us this morning. We'll talk to you again next week. Good stuff. Okay, I got a week, and I'll think about that question. All right. All right. You can get back to Curtis about that. Mike Milbury, we'll be right back.